Alrighty, last week uh, we began a, a two or three week focus on worship and, and just talking about ourselves and, and how to worship and how do we connect with God. And, and last week, if you remember, uh, we, talk, talk, we, we started talking about practicing the presence of God, you know, that, that constant realization that he is here, I mean, that he is with us right now, I mean, literally, you know, it's like he's on the pews with us, and how we need to get that mindset when we're singing, that we're not just singing to air or just singing with a group of people, but that we're singing and we're declaring ourselves unto God. We're declaring his worth to him. Well, today, we're going to go a little bit farther along in moving worship into our everyday life. And I want to talk to us about the triggers, the, the motivation that causes us to release ourselves to worship God. Now, if you're a child of God and you've been saved for any length of period of time, I'm sure you can attest to the fact that you've had times when you found yourself just opening yourself up to God. I mean, the, the reading of his word, the times of prayer, the time of, of, of singing and praising him, it's just free-flowing and, and you feel so connected with God. And then there's also been times that you've sat through a whole church service or you've had your devotions at home and you've really had little to no response whatsoever. You know, nothing seems to happen at that time. I can tell you I've been part of services where one person will be moved to tears while another person hears the same message, they sing the same songs, they go through the same prayers and yet, they yawn in boredom. The question is, what makes the difference in our life? Why does God seem real at times, and other times he seems so far away? Why is it that a scripture that maybe we've read hundreds and hundreds of times before, suddenly we read it and it just pops and, and we feel so connected to it? Well, I believe there are numerous factors that are involved in, in true worship and truly connecting with God. Um, last week, we looked at a couple of them. Um, first of all, we talked about one of the things we need to do is have proper preparation. When we're coming before God and we're coming to God, we can't be in a hurry. We can't be trying to fit it in, fit God into our box, to, to our time schedule. You know, we need to be readying ourselves to meet the King of Kings. We need to be focusing our mind on God and on Jesus Christ and all that he has done. We need to ready our bodies for it. And, and along those lines, we talked about getting a good night's sleep, you know, the night before so we're not tired. You know, we're, we're, we're not fighting that, that hurdle of, of being able to stay awake. You know, we're, we need to eliminate distractions in our life so that we can focus. We need that proper preparation. The second thing we talked about and we've mentioned it, is practicing the presence of God. You know, that understanding that he is here right now. He is with us at all times. But very specifically, as we talk about this worship service, that, that you know, where two or three are gathered, he is in our midst. So, so God is here. Jesus Christ is here. And we need to understand that at all times, that we are in the presence of God. Well, there's another motivational key that I want to look at today, and, and let me phrase it like this. The trigger or the motivation for worship is our response to God's person 
and his actions. Okay, the motivation, the trigger for worship, true worship in our hearts, is our response to God's person of who he is, the realization of who he is, and his actions, what he has done and what he is doing. You see, worship is not something that we do in order to move God to act. Worship, rather than, is a reflex. Worship is a reaction of people who have seen the hand of the Lord moving in their life in the past, in the history, through the word of God, what it's revealed, and they're seeing God move and work in their lives daily. Let me put it like this. If you went to the doctor and you're sitting on the you know, side of the, the bed thing and he takes that little hammer and he, he hits your knee and your leg goes, boink, you know, um, you know texting your, uh, testing your reflexes, the leg didn't move causing the action, but the leg moved in result of the, the action that was taking place. If I had a ball here and I threw it to you, you would either, on a reflex, you would either catch it or you would duck it. Hopefully, you would, you would try to get out of the way. Again, that's what worship is. Worship is not something we do in order to move God. Worship is a reflex. It's a reaction that we have when we begin to see the hand of the Lord, you know, through God's word as he's revealed himself to us and we see him working and connecting in our daily lives. And the result of that, the, the trigger, the reaction to that is that we worship and we give ourselves to God. And, and this worship, this reaction that we have, I need to tell you, it really needs to be something that is personal, you know, something that is, is happening within our hearts. You know, it's one thing for us to, you know, have it as a congregation, but I, I think our true worship here happens as a culmination of each individual connecting in their worship. It's not something that we, we do as a whole group. It's a, it's a sum total of each and every one of us as we connect with our God. And, and our reaction in connecting with our God is to worship. It needs to be personal. Um, Think of it like this. If God were writing a resume, what do you think he would put on it? You know, if he was going to describe himself and what, what you know, for, for a position, what would he do? Well, the most common explanations that we would have is, you know, we'd have these, these theological nouns and adjectives that describe God. I mean, things like qualifications for leadership. He's omnipotent. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. Man, those are fantastic, oh, big theological words. What's his qualification for reliability? Well, he's immutable. You know, he, he, he is eternal. Does he have any references? Well, the Son and the Holy Spirit. And, I mean, those are beautiful theological truths that, that, that exist. But honestly, how does that list you know, kind of strike us personally? How do those nouns and adjectives strike you? You know, it doesn't seem, you know, very personal, does it? I mean, don't get me wrong, you know, it's important, the theology is tremendously important. But many people cannot connect with abstract descriptions like omnipresent or omniscient. You know, we, we need to connect with God in our worship. 
And in, 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 in certain ways, if God is too abstract with terms that we don't connect with, then it's going to kind of hinder our worship, actually. You know, God is best known by, not so much by nouns, but really he's best known by verbs that we use. You know, we, got, we know God most clearly by his actions. You know, what he has revealed of himself, what he has done in, in creation and in, in redemption. And then what he has personally done, his actions that he has done in my life. You know, in fact, our theological systems are derived from reflections of his actions. We know him best by what he does. Matter of fact, Jesus said this. We won't put this up on the board here. Jesus said, if I am not doing the works of my father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, in other words, my words, believe the works so that you may know and understand the father. He understands the disconnect. Sometimes people have problems connecting with just what is said, but what you are seeing, he he. he encourages them to connect with that. His works, even more sometimes than his, his, uh, his words, help us to connect to him. Matter of fact, in Luke chapter 7, you remember the incident, uh, John the Baptist has been imprisoned, ultimately is going to be beheaded. And, you know, he's, he's hearing about the Messiah out there. You know, the one who he introduced is, you know, the, the, the lamb that takes away the sins of the world. But that's all the connections that he's had with Jesus, a, a, a few connections at his baptism. And so he's beginning to have questions. And, and so he sends a few of his disciples to go and talk to Jesus. He can't go because he's in prison. And it says in Luke chapter 7, verse 20, it says, When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you to ask, Are you the expected one, or do we look for someone else? At that very time, he cured many people of diseases and afflictions and evil spirits. And he gave sight to many who were blind. And he answered and he said to them, Go and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up. The poor have the gospel preached to them. So in his answers to, you know, are you truly the Messiah, what does he say? He says, look at what I'm doing. Go back and tell John what I am doing. You know, even more than his words were the key, you know, his actions were the key to understanding that he was truly the son of God. So again, remember our truth here. Worship is not something we do in order to get God to move, you know, in our hearts. Worship is a reflex that we have. When we see the hand of God working in history, and what he has done in our redemption and in our everyday life in a personal way. And what I want to do this morning, it's similar to what we did last week, where I'm going to spend just a few more minutes talking a little bit about worship, and then I've asked the worship team to, to lead us in more of an extended time of worship. You know, we don't want to just talk about it and then go home. We want to do it. We want to experience God. We want to you know, we, we want to release ourselves to God. And, and I, I want to, for just a few moments, I want to look at an example that demonstrates this, this reflex of worship. Um, we've been talking about releasing ourselves to God through remembering what he has done. Um, way back in the book of Exodus, in Exodus chapter 12, we see there's some important truths about releasing ourselves to God that'll help us to understand this topic. 
Uh, the first thing I want to talk about, and I'm just going to be skipping around here, and we'll be putting the verses up here for you. First thing I want you to notice is to release yourself to God, you must first recognize you need to be released. You, you have a need to release. It isn't going to happen unless you see that need that you have to release yourself to God. Now, back in Exodus chapter 12, we are 1,300 years before the birth of Christ. We're about 3,300 years ago. God's covenant children, Israel, they have been living in bondage for 430 years. Generation after generation. There are generations that were born, that lived and died, that never knew anything but slavery. Never knew anything than, than, than serving the Egyptians. You know, what did Israel have to do before they could experience the exodus? Experience freedom? Well, first, they had to recognize that they were slaves. And you say, well, that's kind of silly. You know, every single day of their life, they recognize that they were slaves. Well, it, it, you know, it isn't that easy. Because the very nature of slavery is that when you've been involved in it for so long, you begin to think that it's normal. You lose the ability to understand what could be. And you begin to accept that this is just what is. Matter of fact, after Israel had been freed from bondage, remember they, they went out into the wilderness, they begin to face a few difficulties. Food, water, those sorts of things. And remember what it says down in Exodus chapter 16? It says, The whole congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The sons of Israel said to them, Would that we have died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the pots of meat and we ate bread to the full. For, for you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill us through the whole assembly of hunger. You know, this incident always amazes me because basically what they're saying, you know, they, they forgot what it was like to be in slavery already. They forgot the whippings. They forgot the filth that they were made to live in. They forgot how they were used and how they were abused and how they were treated like animals. They forgot what it was like to be controlled. Now suddenly, you know, they're a little bit separated from that. Now it's all, oh, we used to have all the food we could eat and we sat by the fire with pots of meat and everything like that. You see, it's hard to get that mentality of slavery out of you. You know, the bondage that we are in. And we live and we are saved out of a world that is in bondage to sin. All of God's creation has been tainted by the fall of man. We could talk about things like jealousy and envy, you know, sexual promiscuity. There's breakdown in the families. Our world is caught up in selfishness and pride. And tragedy occurs when we begin to think that that's life. It's all around us. That somehow this is normal. That this is, you know, as bad as it is or whatever, this is what life is supposed to be. People who have lived in moral bondage for a long time may lose the ability to know that they are in bondage. And to receive God's release, you need to recognize your need to be released. That this isn't the life that you were created for. This isn't why God made you. You know, this isn't, this isn't why you're here. You know, that's why we always say never forget what you have been saved from. 
Never forget the life that you had before Jesus Christ. Or if you were saved young and you thought, well, I can't really remember too much before that. And, you know, I was saved when I was seven, eight, nine years old. Well, do you remember what your, your life could be without Jesus Christ? Never forget that. Because if you forget what it was, then there's a tendency, you know, to sugarcoat it. Oh, we used to have, you know, all sorts of fun and we used to not have these restrictions. And, and suddenly the life that we were saved for doesn't look so bad. Kind of like Israel and slavery. You know, suddenly when some hardships came, some trials came, suddenly, you know, slavery actually looked pretty good for them. You know, they, 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 they sugarcoat it. And I think some of us here at this point, um, you know, we can't be free to come before God, to come to worship. We're talking about it. But there's a step we need to take before we even talk about worshiping God. And that's the step to become a child of God. You know, you cannot truly worship God until you are a child of God, until you break this moral bondage. And so, you know, if you are here today, if you are listening online, whatever it might be, I mean, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, if you have not been freed from sin, you have not been redeemed, if you've not made that heart decision to give your life to Christ, today can be that day for you. You can accept the Lord right now, where you're at, in your pew, sitting at home. This is something that's done between you and God. It's not done between you and the church and God. This is something solely between you and God. He knows the, the genuineness of the outcry of your heart. So you're still living in bondage. You need to be freed from that bondage. Now there's others of us here. You know, we've been freed from the bondage. You know, but, but we need to cry out to the Lord, help us to be released from our old habits. You know, the ways of the world. And we're tired of the filth. We're tired of the control. I'm tired of the bitterness. I'm tired of the unforgiveness. Neither will ever take place until we have a desire to actually do it. Nobody can make us. This is something we have to desire in our heart. Next, also in your outline. To initiate God's release in worship, you must act in faith before you're going to see results. You need to act in faith before you're going to receive results. In Hebrews chapter 11, it says a number of verses. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, men of old gained approval. And without faith, it says it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of those who seek him. So if the very heart of worship is coming to God and, and, and pouring ourselves out to God, for God to feel our love and our adoration, if, if that's the very point of it, then it's got to be done in faith because without faith, it's impossible to please God. Now for Israel... This step of faith was going to come in the form of, acts, of, of an action that they had to take. If you go back to Exodus chapter 12, you remember when they were still in bondage, Moses had come and, and God had given him powers to bring plagues upon the Egyptians to ultimately you know, move their mind to release Israel from bondage. And the Israelites, they saw the frogs, they saw the water turned into blood, you know, the, the, the locusts, the 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 fire in the form of hail coming down to the earth. They saw the darkness. 
But their release from bondage did not come until they took a step of faith. It says in Exodus chapter 12, verse 21, it says, Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and take for yourselves lambs according to your families and slay the Passover lamb. And you shall take the bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood which is in the basin and apply some of the blood that is in the basin to the lintel, uh, linton that of the two doorposts. And none of you shall go outside of the door of your house until morning. For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two posts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to come into your house to smite you. And the result of that, when they were told to do this, it says down in verse 31, then he called for Moses and Aaron at night and said, this is the, the Pharaoh, called for Moses said, rise up, Get up from among your people, both you and the sons of Israel, and go worship the Lord as you have said. You see, God asked Israel to take a step of faith before they would see results, before they would actually be released. And the truth of it is, God didn't need to see the blood on their doorpost to know if the people inside were actually people of faith. He didn't need that. God knew who was in the house. God knew what their heart was. That step of faith and that action that they were asked to take in slaying the lamb and, 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 and put a covering over the house of the blood, that was not for God. That was for the Israelites. That was for us. It solidified their resolve. It solidified their belief. It was an action that they took that separated themselves from the group, you know, putting their, their trust, their focus in God alone. Now, that was Israel, and we have similar ordinances that we participate of today when we come to the Lord's Supper. That's a, that is a, an action that we take in faith, the body of Christ, the blood of Christ being shed for us. Baptism. Is, is one of the great ordinances that we have that are similar in this act of faith that we are given. Because when a first person comes to Christ and embraces him as their Lord and Savior, that, that happens within our heart. And God asks us, after we are saved, that we are baptized, you know, that we participate in baptism. Why? You know, d- baptism doesn't suddenly reveal to God, oh, yeah, oh, that person's a child of mine. Baptism is for us. Baptism is something that, it's a step of faith that we take in trusting God. It separates us. You know, it's a public testimony to everybody around us of what Jesus Christ has done within our heart. That's why it's so important. But it's a great step of faith. It's a great act of, of identifying, separating myself, that I have been freed from bondage and publicly testifying to that. God already knows what's happened within your heart. Baptism is is a thing for us to help solidify that action, uh, you know, that we're taking, that that, that step of faith. Number three, to live in God's release, you must understand it's a process. I think sometimes, you know, we, we, we have these ups and downs in our faith, and we love the ups. And, and then we don't understand if, you know, suddenly a month later we're down. 
and, and what was exciting, the, our Bible reading, our devotions, now we're, you know, find ourselves maybe going through the motion. We need to understand that it is a continual process that we're going to be part of. Um, I mean, think about it. When, when were the Israelites, going back to the Exodus, when were the Israelites freed from Egypt? Well, it says in verse 31. We read that. You know, then, then the Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron at night and said, Rise up, get out from among my people, both you and the sons of Israel, and go worship the Lord, as you have said. At that moment, they were free. But, it, you know, it, it didn't just happen that moment. It continued on for many years. When they crossed the Red Sea, it was an act of worship. It was an act of faith. Were there 40 years in the wilderness, trusting God, being led by the, you know, the pillar of fire and the, and the cloud? When they entered the promised land, when they fought for the promised land, all of these things were steps of faith. All of these things were opportunity for them to connect with God and to refocus themselves in faith in their worship. Well, we all know, you know, the Christian life has a beginning. Nobody grows into being a Christian. There's a moment, there's one moment that first you were not a child of God, and based on a decision that you made in your heart, a genuine decision, you become a child of God. We all know we have that beginning. It, it's called a new birth. We're born again. You know, John 3, 3 says, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. And so we have that birth. But as a Christian, that's only the beginning. You know, that, that's the starting line of a life that begins a lifelong journey of connecting with God, of stepping out on faith, of, of worshiping him. And I want you to notice what the Lord asked Israel to do concerning, you know, these events that they had. You know, I'm specifically referring to the Passover and, the, you know, putting the blood on the, on the doorpost. God wanted Israel to celebrate the Passover every single year. Every year wanted to remind them of that. You know, to, you know, again, remember we said worship is a reflex action of remembering what God has done. And so this was a, a time to call them back to this great time when, when God had freed them from their bondage. Thousands of years, thousands upon years, they did this. Until finally, Jesus Christ would ride on a donkey into Jerusalem to offer himself to Israel. And we all know what week that was. It was the Passover week that he did this. On Thursday night, he ate the Passover meal with his disciples. And he took the unleavened bread, it says, and he broke it. And he said, this is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he took the, the wine and he said, this is a symbol of my blood. This is my blood in the new covenant given for you. He tells them to do it in remembrance of me. You know, it's a, a connecting with what God has done in our life. There is power in remembering. When we remember what God has done for us in the past, you know, this book reveals so much of it concerning our redemption story. And we remember what God is doing for us recently, right now in our lives. The result is supposed to invoke worship, the reflex of worship. I mean, just thinking through your life, um, you know, this, this, these last days have been rainy, miserable. It's miserable outside. But you know what? We had a beautiful day yesterday, didn't we? It was gorgeous out. Thank you, Lord, for being in my life and giving me strength to work. 
Thank you for my home. Thank you for my family. And recognizing all those things that God has done in our life, my reflex to that now is worship, to pour myself out to God. And so I want to encourage you, as we're going to go to, to, to be worshiping officially, I guess, it, you know, or traditionally as we say it through singing, I want, I want you to take time to remember today. As these songs are sung, they're making great proclamations. They're reminding us of what God has done and who he is. You know, take, take time to remember. Remember the God who gave his, his son for the forgiveness of your sins. And then let your spiritual reflexes take over. You know, your, your response, you will know when you're there. You'll know when your response is, is worship and pouring out. You'll know when you have truly remembered. You know, let, 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 let's end this service even today by remembering some of the gifts, some of the acts of love that he's given us. You know, spiritually, physically, we think about forgiveness. We think about the grace that he has given us and, and the mercy, undeserved favor, that if you're a child of God that you have in his eyes, not something that you deserve, not something I've earned, but God gives me a very special place. He has loved me. He has given me direction. And probably one of the things that carries me through life is he has given me hope, purpose in this world, that this isn't all there is. And one day, you know, we're going to, you know, age out and, and, and then there's nothing else. He has given us hope. And we have so much to be thankful for. Remember what God has done. Remember who he is as we worship. And our reflex will be to pour ourselves out to him. Let's pray. Father God, I so thank you once again for your desire to connect with us, your desire to hear from us in a genuine way. And Father, I pray that you will take this, these next moments, these times that we sing unto you that we remember, that we remind ourselves, Father, you will take these things from our hearts, that we will truly connect, Lord. Father, that you will sweep over our congregation, just our love for you. And Father, we will individually worship and collectively worship you. We give this to you, Father. In thy name we pray.